Ladies and gentlemen, coffee or tea? I'm Kent Garrison. I'm Brian Gill. And I'm Richard Barden. And this is Matt. About. You sound insane. You realize that? Yeah. The whole world got crazy. Seriously? It's showtime. Mad About Movies is your go-to show for all things cinema. Every week, we talk movie news, movie rumors and rumblings, and break down a chosen movie of the week. But don't fret if you haven't seen it, because we'll try and warn you before heading into spoilers. And stay tuned until the end for weekly recommends, in which each of us suggests something you need to check out as soon as possible. And remember, you can find all of our episodes on our website at madaboutmoviespodcast.com. This week's movie of discussion is what, Brian? This week we're going to be talking about A Most Violent Year. I run a fair and clean business, and I will fight to my last breath to prove that. These are dangerous times, and we have to adapt. It's not like when we was driving. This movie was released on December 31st, 2014. Uh Uh-huh. So it sort of feels like the newest film that's out that's not Mordecai. Sure. So that's good. I got to be honest, guys. I was kind of pulling. I was kind of pulling for the Mordecai discussion. Um, we may have to revisit that at some point. Just is I, it even in theaters anymore? I, it might honestly be out of theaters already. Yeah, in a week and a half. It's not doing so good. It got like ninth place last weekend on the second mm. week or something. Yeah, it doesn't appear to be in theaters. <laughs> DVD. Good run, guys. <laughs> Round of applause all around. Good. Good job. Good run. 60, $60 million budget, and its entire worldwide total to this point is $18.7 million. <laughs> wow. I'm surprised it didn't get some, like, BS foreign. Yeah, um, like the Belgian audience just yeah, went exactly. crazy for it or something. Yeah, yeah, I, I am surprised about that. I'm not surprised at all it bombed over here. Yeah. Because those stories apparently have a pretty big cult following in, in the UK. Sure. Good gosh, it made... <laughs> yeah. It's bad. That's really bad. The, the decision to make it R-rated was one of the right. bigger blunders of, right. of all time. Yeah, of ever. I mean, there there are wars that were started that were less of an error. <laughs> I made this That's, point to you guys. Let's let's not forget Austin Powers is rated PG thirteen. Yeah, and it's about a sex crazed secret agent. Like yeah. literally, that's what it's about, and it somehow managed to stay PG-13. Yeah. I would yeah. love to know the decisions they just held their yeah. ground on. Like We may exactly. have to go see it just to know. Yeah. Sorry. Is that there two shots? That bomb has to stay. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think yeah. I know what I'm doing. I'm David Kep. <laughs> I mean, when has he failed us? Let's be honest. When has David Kep's work He's not enchanted though. us? He has like two screenplays a year produced. He's got yeah. to be on the Sneaky Rich Hall of Fame, oh, which yeah. is a list I keep. That's the pets, the Pat Zajax. That's that <laughs> list. I call that the Tariq Abdul Wahad list. We, we had the David Kep conversation off the air uh, when Mordecai was released. Yeah. And Richard, can you kind of fill in the listener on our just our conversation, or maybe Brian? Uh, Brian Brian said something you'll notice with this from our Hills filmography, and we're talking about the writer director David Kep, by the way, K O E P P. If you want to IMDb him while we're talking about him, but is that. You'll notice a lot of adaptations in his filmography, so yeah, yeah, maybe seems that's be, that seems to be his forte. Yeah, and he's he hasn't directed too much, but uh, he's directed. Well, let's we'll we'll go through the filmography. He's got a few uh, about seven movies that aren't too big of a deal, and then he hits in 1993, co-writing with Michael Crichton, Jurassic Park. Yeah, mm-hmm. and then he follows that with a uh, Carlito's Way adaptation. And then he writes the first Mission Impossible film. Mm-hmm. Then he writes The Lost World by himself without Michael Crichton. That speaks for itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, then he co-writes uh, Snake Eyes. Uh, what's his name? Nicholas Cage. Nicholas Cage. Yeah. Cage. Thought it was David Cage for a minute. I'm having a small <laughs> stroke. That's his brother. He wrote. Uh, <laughs> he wrote the Declaration of Independence. <laughs> <laughs> um, then he has Panic Room, which I hate, but you guys like. Which I like is weird, Panic Room. Because yeah. I like David Fincher, but I hate Panic Room. Then he wrote Spider-Man. Then he wrote and directed Secret Window, his first adaptation with uh, Mr. Depp. Zathura, yeah. War of the Worlds. Brian, you seen Zathura? I have. 
How is I don't it? really remember anything about it. So he is the sole writer. I mean, there's other people that wrote the story, but he is yeah. the sole screenplay writer of Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, <laughs> which is all you need. Then Apparently, he, it's this. That's the script that they were going to use. Frank Darabont. He wrote. Yeah, he wrote a script yeah. that was apparently awesome, and it's out yeah. there. You could read it. Yeah. But apparently, uh, no. George Lucas wanted to go with Mr. Kep. Yeah, and uh, he, Spielberg did too. But then he writes. Uh, Angels and Demons. Great movie. Mm. Uh, and then he he uncreditedly writes The Taking of Pelham 1, 2, 3. Oh, yeah. Then he writes and directs, arguably, and I, I, I'm going to go ahead and say definitely, he wrote and directed by far the best cycling film of 2012. <laughs> Premium Rush. Yeah. That yeah. was about cycling, right? Yeah, cur- courier courier services. Okay. Yeah, the best yeah. courier service film, <laughs> 2012, and I don't think anything else comes close. Yeah. yeah. Then he wrote Men in Black Three, uncredited again, because you know he doesn't want that stink on him. Yeah. Yeah. Then he wrote the huge success Jack Ryan Shadow Recruit, mm. and then he said, "You know what? I've had a few misfires here. I'm not going to write. I'm just going to direct." So he just directed Mordecai. And the next year, he has another Dan Brown uh, script Inferno. directed by yeah. Don Howard of Inferno. So that's going to be good. <laughs> so basically, this guy's been living off of Jurassic Park for 22 yeah. years. And I'll give him credit, though. Look, you know, we did a throwback episode on Jurassic Park, and looking back in hindsight on it, there are some strong moments in the screenplay. Yes, but Stop. I'm going to go ahead and say that was Michael Crichton because yeah. Yeah. The Lost World is terrible, in my opinion. And he wrote that one all by his onesie. Uh-huh. And so I'm thinking the moments that we had in Jurassic Park were probably that of the of the novelist. Like one of the best dialogue scenes of the 90s, arguably. And it's one that, looking back, I would always fast forward when I was watching on VHS, is when they're, David Attenborough, his character sort of flies everybody to the island. And then they, before they go out on the tour, they have a little dinner, you know, and it's pretty iconic scene with all the projectors surrounding them and they're talking about the park and they're being served by this wait staff and David Attenborough's all, we spared no expense and everything. And Jeff Goldblum's give Jeff Goldblum gives that dialogue about before you even knew what you had, you packaged it, branded it, put it on a lunchbox, you know, and um, you were so preconceived with whether or not you could, you didn't stop to think whether or not you uh, should, you know, that's, that's like a really good, uh, dialogue scene and, and one that I always thought was so boring, but um, I mean, give David Kep credit. He's probably used that scene <laughs> to get projects yeah. for the past <laughs> 25 years. So I'll give him, yeah. give him credit. You know, he, he's got a, he's got a, as we've, as we've seen, he's got a ton of big budget blockbustery type movies on his, on his resume. And I would guess that he is known as a guy that can come in and crack out a screenplay in short order so you can yeah. get your movie yeah. going. I, I would I would guess that a lot of these movies he didn't start out as the writer. You know no. what I mean? Like he was brought in uh, towards the beginning of production or whatever to 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 finish a script or fix a script or whatever it may be. And so, you know, you can clearly you can make a name for yourself. You can make a living doing that sort of thing, but he's got far more misses than hits on uh, on his resume there. It's tough. It's a tough thing. He also did the shadow. We missed the shadow. The oh, Alec Baldwin uh, shoot. <laughs> Alec like Baldwin stab out of being a superhero. What was the Gosh. one with Liam Neeson? That was what? What's that one called? That's the superhero movie from that same era. Dark Man. Okay. Yeah. Oh, no. With the weird mask on his face. Yeah. It's basically yeah, I had the a, same. I movie. had a Dark Man action figure as a kid. Nice. So the Mordecai discussion will have to wait. At least the extended yeah. discussion. But there's a little. This has been your Kep yeah. Podcast. Fifteen minutes on Mordecai. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but guys, it's been a while since we've done this, so let's talk about a little bit of movie news. Yes! Rumors and rumbling. That's awesome! Let the filibustering begin! Before we get rolling here, guys, I just want to um, say thanks to the fans for enjoying our end-of-the-year episode last week. Uh, it was a little experiment we did. Uh, we, we were live in a studio... All three in the same room at the same time, which is, you know, happens once out of every 50 episodes or so. Uh, so we enjoyed doing that. But we also did a video version of the show, which you can find on our website under updates. And uh, check out that uh, YouTube video. Throw it on your Chromecast, Apple TV, 
have a good old time with that. So that was just something special we decided to do for the fan uh, for our end of the year <laughs> slash two year episode. So I just yeah. wanted to remind the fan and thank the fan. Go back and uh, and check that out if you uh, if you haven't already. Yeah, and hey, thanks so much for all your feedback and all that sort of stuff. We have just been swamped with emails and tweets and yes. all kinds of fun stuff the last couple of uh, weeks. And man, it's so cool to hear from you guys. We really appreciate it. Keep it coming. And uh, we, we do our best to respond uh, as promptly as possible. And, and we, uh, we, we like that. We like to know you're out there. So I don't, but... Yeah, Richard hates you, but Kit and I really like you. I have a bunch of emails marked, and I promise I'll get to them. So uh, if you want a shout-out on next week's show, next week's show will be the one where we knock out a bunch of fan questions and stuff. So send those in this week uh, before next week, and we'll probably get to them. Uh, Contact us via our website as well. Uh, But like I said, it's been a while since we've talked movie news, guys. Didn't get to it last week. Spent the whole uh, entirety of the time reviewing last year. Uh, But there's a lot to talk about. So I think we should start off with the most applicable news to this podcast, and it involves... Melissa McCarthy. <laughs> uh, Richard, you've become the movie news guru of sure. this show. Break this news for the podcast listener. Yeah. Um, well, Peter Dinklage has joined the cast of a new uh, Melissa McCarthy film. Oh, there's a different one? Yeah. Because yeah. that is also news. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, we've got, it seems to be official, uh, that uh, Ghostbusters 3 is happening. Uh-huh. With Yay. the following cat, which... Okay, so before you accuse us of, like, rampant sexism, I would be pretty much 99% as bummed about Ghostbusters 3 if it was, like, Aykroyd in that group again. Just because I think they don't know how to... I, 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 I don't think Dan Aykroyd really has his pulse on um, comedy of, in 2015 sure. um, or action in 2015. My Real evidence life. would be is that he hasn't made a good comedy reaction film Ever. Um, since Ghostbusters 2. Oh. So I'm going to go ahead and, and and go out on a limb there. But I'm excited for parts of this cast. Uh, sure. There's parts that are, are really good. It seems to be kind of a very Bridesmaids-influenced film. Uh-huh. I'm not a huge Bridesmaids fan in that I think it's really funny and it's really good and it's one of the best comedies, if not the best comedy of that year. But I think it's super overrated the fact that some of those people were nominated for Oscars seems when other comedic performances have not been seemed a little weird to me. So it's a long preface to say, it looks like the cast is going to be Melissa McCarthy, Kristen Wiig. Brian, you got the other two here. I don't want to. Yeah. Uh, Leslie Jones and Kate McKinnon. So two yeah. SNL, current SNL cast members, one alumnus and, uh, and then Melissa McCarthy, who's who's hosted a few times, so very SNL and Bridesmaids influenced uh, piece. So, do we think McCarthy will be <laughs> Vankman, Stance, or Stangler? I think she's going to be the Stay Puffed Marshmallow Man, <laughs> Slimer. Sorry, I was, I had bet on that Slimer actually, but Slimer. Nice. We'll, uh, we'll see. She's going to fall down at least a few times, though. Yeah. She's going to slip in that Slimer goop. I mean, I'm being serious when I ask. Fall that down a flight of stairs. They really are. You know, there's one nerd character, there's one goofball, there's one serious. I mean, they're the Ninja Turtles of right. of the human race, I guess. <laughs> and uh, good crossover, by the way, Ninja yeah. Turtles and Ghostbusters. It's, it's weird Look that, that they have nunchucks, but that's, yeah. that's fine. And it's going to be weird to see Kate McKinnon with a bow staff, but I'm willing to <laughs> So willing she's to the Donatello is yeah. going? I love Kristen Wiig. I think that's a good choice. Uh, I'm interested to see Kate McKinnon in a movie. Don't think yeah. I've seen that yet. Uh, Leslie Jones is like 50, and all of a sudden people like her. I mean, she's basically just doing a Tracy Morgan impression all the time. I'll see this. We'll do a podcast on it. Uh, if we, I can guarantee you, though, and this is my honest to God truth, and it's probably still true uh, for like an Aykroyd story one, unless Bill Murray had a big part. Right. Um, I would not see this if they were doing a, if we weren't didn't have to do a podcast. I, I have zero interest in this. We should be fair and say it's not Ghostbusters 3. It's just called, as of right now, it's just called Ghostbusters. So it's a complete re of the original. It's a reboot. It's not a, sure. it's not a sequel. So that's a little bit of good news if there's anything to take from this. Is they, they know better than to uh, make Ghostbusters 3. You know what I'm saying? Like If they're going to do it, uh, this is the way to do it, uh, in my opinion. 
Yeah, I agree with you. I, I was gonna say I'm I'm not excited about this movie by by any means, but I I will say I'm much much more uh, positive towards it with it being this cast rather than trying to do some sort of an a uh, bad sequel with uh with Ackroyd and and not with Bill Murray. I guarantee you, know. you they'll show up. Ackroyd's going to show up. Oh, he'll yeah, be in it. I'm yeah. sure. I'm sure, but I if you're going to reboot, if you're going to go this route, I would much prefer I at least like that they're they're trying to do something a little bit different rather than just like try to recreate the magic of the last two from Let's get Jonah Hill and Seth ago. Rogen. Yeah. Along yeah. with, you know, <laughs> there's a ghost. Yeah, <laughs> just I, I, way more pot in this version than, uh, yeah. than the 80s versions. But no, I, I don't know. I, Bill I think, Murray was there. So, <laughs> Dave Franco on screen. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I, I'm but I'm more positive to it, I think, than uh, than Richard is for sure. And maybe to you than you are. Kent. I just yeah. I don't even mind Melissa McCarthy so much in this. This this well, as long as she's playing like a normal okay. character. Yeah, I, like I just her. don't. We, I don't but I just don't want her doing balls. Farley yeah. stick. Yeah, yeah, totally. totally. If she's playing, if she's playing her Gilmore Girls character that happens to sure. kill ghosts, that's awesome. I, <laughs> yeah. I, I like her as just an actress. She's fine, right? And seems like an awesome person. But I just don't get the shtick and yeah. why no one calls her out for just like the most boring old school shtick of all time. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I'm much more, you know, I can handle McCarthy. Leslie Jones is the one that drives me insane. Like, I don't like <laughs> yeah. her bit at all. I, and it's it's not. <laughs> you I don't, don't like care for African-American women, though. And <laughs> you've made that very clear on the podcast. Stop it. <laughs> I don't like anyone doing that bit. Like that very angry yell at you the whole time sort of comedy. I don't I don't like it. How do you explain your Lewis Black poster, though, <laughs> up in your office? <laughs> It's the hand gestures that, that get me with black. This is this is literally <laughs> a technical term. It's called the black yeah. B. Okay. And I'm not going to say the word that starts with B. Sure. But thanks. that's literally like look up that on Google and, yeah. and I mean that's a trope that they that's used all the time yeah, in I don't in like that. Yeah. And I don't like it when a guy does it either to be, yeah. to be completely fair. Like it's it's not a style of comedy that works for me at all. Yeah. I have not paid attention. This is the first year of SNL in a long time that I haven't been up on it, you know, week to week. And every time I do tune in, when she shows up, it is an immediate fast forward for me. I can't, I can't handle her at all. But uh, aside from her, McKinnon is very talented. We all love Kristen Wiig. And, and Richard's right. If Melissa McCarthy's not doing Tammy, then, you know, it, it could be, it could be okay. I, you know, I, I'm a little bit more optimistic about it, I think, than than Richard is for sure, than, and maybe more than you two. I'm more worried about the script than I am about the performers, you know, because wasn't Bridesmaid all Kristen Wiig? Didn't she? Yes. Didn't she write and it? Her, she has a writing partner, but I've, I don't. Yeah, think I can't remember her writing partner. But Paul Feig has only written uh, Spy, which is stars Melissa McCarthy and is coming out uh, later this year. And, uh, of course, directed Bridesmaids. But uh, another screenplay credit goes to Kate Dippold, Katie Dippold. And she wrote the hit last year uh, called The Heat. Some oh, people yeah. might remember that. Yeah. Uh, or in 2013. McCarthy, with McCarthy, McCarthy and Sandra Bullock. Bullock. Yeah. And so not a strong. She's a Parks and Rec writer, too. Not a yeah. very strong lineup for, for writing. But I would feel a lot better about this if. You know, they they gave it to Kristen Wiig and said, "Here, write the screenplay, get your cast together." Yeah. You know, it would this feel is, more inspired. This but. is a little underreported because I think Wig, I guess McCarthy has too lately has done other things, but Wig does also kind of have a comic persona that she's starting to rely on a little too much for me, and I I love yeah. her, but that kind of just awkward, quiet. Uh, so, mm-hmm. so yeah. You know, like that, that bit is like kind of becoming, it's definitely not as in your face as McCarthy's shtick, but it's just as kind of lazy. So, I mean, I, I hope, uh, I hope this, this surprised me, but I, you know what, Kent, you've kind of talked me into it. I, you're right. The script is more worrisome than, than these I mean, it's, guys. I'm sure they'll give it all they have and this will make a ton of money cause it's Ghostbusters, but it's going to be bad. Like it's just going <laughs> to be sloppy. I, I can't see it being anything like the original and i hope it's not i hope i hope it fails honestly so we never have to quest love <laughs> is uh covering it. the D- ray parker jr song too so no, i mean it's gonna be dumb and dumber too it's gonna be uh you know 
They talked for 20 years. Are they going to make a sequel? Will they ever? Just like they talked about Ghostbusters. Will they ever make another one? And they finally did, and it was terrible and never should have happened. So, uh. I, I, <laughs> Ghostbusters is just – it's so perfect as is. It's just – yeah. The know. female thing, though, you have to admit, is pretty risky and – I mean, quite quite a bold move by the studio, you know, to say this is a male this is a male dominated franchise and um, fan base. You know, they market toys to young men, yeah, and and they're basically converting it to fe- a female property, which is pretty I think that's risky. Part, that's yeah, cool, that's though. risky yeah. and cool and and awesome. Like, I think that's fine, I, and I think they'll be pleasantly surprised at you know the the amount of toys they sell. I'm gonna get my Melissa McCarthy bobblehead. Yeah, I'm, I'm telling you right now, if the characters are cool. If it's somehow good and the characters are cool, I don't think little boys care about playing with like a – it's just they're going to want the Ghostbusters toys. It doesn't matter what sex those Ghostbusters are. I don't think I would care. So if it's good, it's going to be very lucrative. If it's bad, it's not going to be. And then they're going to blame it on these you know poor four women and it's just going to be like, well, the script is terrible. <laughs> Sorry. You right. know, They're going to say, well, we should have done it with the original cast and it's going to be, well, no, you shouldn't have. Speaking of Ghostbusters, guys, this is something that had leaked out um, due to the Sony leak, and it relates to Ghostbusters, and and to my next uh, little bit of movie news I want to talk about, actually. Chris Pratt, uh, always in the news, and continues to be, uh, apparently he was in discussion with the Sony people over the past couple of years. Uh, They had discussed back and forth the possibility of rebooting the Ghostbusters. And uh, and Chris Pratt was basically begging the Sony execs to do this, like he was sending them ideas, and uh, he told them who he wanted to get in the movie with him and everything. And uh, it was pretty close to happening uh, for a long time, but he wanted it to be him and Channing Tatum and one other person as the Ghostbusters. So wow. we could either get a Melissa McCarthy, Leslie Jones Ghostbusters, or a Chris Pratt, Channing Tatum Possibly Jonah Hill attached, you know, somebody like that, Michael Sarah, somebody Ghostbusters. So those are the two directions it, it could, could have gone and end up going, of course, uh, the one way. But would have been very interesting to see what could have been with a Chris Pratt, Channing Tatum. Yeah, uh, that's com- what Chris Pratt comedy. needs is, a, is another, you know, big <laughs> franchise to headline. Uh, so speaking of that, we've got some news on that front as well. It seems that Mr. Pratt is... Uh, is rumored for rebooting another classic 80s film. Yeah. And that film is Short Circuit. No, it's it, <laughs> it is That's Chappie. Yeah. It's uh it's Indiana Jones. It's rumors Chris Pratt has a very goofy Indiana Jones, I would assume. Yeah. I'm convinced this is not ever going to happen. Um, yeah, same. I mean, I'm not even interested in a reboot of Indiana Jones that doesn't feature Shia LaBeouf. So, yeah. Yeah, or the we, guy that played young Indiana Jones. <laughs> oh. We were talking about last year, I feel like, this with Bradley Cooper. Yeah. And I guess oh, they're okay. just going to come up with a new name every six months yeah. until Indiana Jones gets rebooted. You know, that's what it seems like and feels like at this It'll point. It'll be Leslie Jones next year. <laughs> <laughs> Indiana Jones. Yeah. Uh, that boulder is rolling. <laughs> But uh, I'm much more interested with, and I like Chris Pratt a lot. But I think Bradley Cooper would be a lot better in that role. I do too. Yeah, I, I I'm convinced that it's not going to happen without Harrison Ford's um, approval. Or I mean, I heard, and we might have talked about this in the past. Uh, forgive me if we have. I heard that part of his reasoning for coming back for Star Wars was uh, doing a more Indiana Jones stuff. And that was his agreement with Disney. Like, hey, you do this. You scratch my back. I'll scratch yours. And we'll do, you know. Uh, How are things we'll going to work in Han Solo's earring? <laughs> it's a question I've just occurred to me. It's just something that I don't think that uh, I really don't think Harrison Ford's ready to give up that role. And he's said multiple times that he wants to transition it more to like a psychological character. Like he uses his his instinct and wit more to get him out of situations more than he does. His, his uh, like sprint, a Sherlock Holmes. Yeah. Kind of like thing. more than he does like sprinting away from stuff or using his whip. 
um, that he can use his intelligence more. And I can see it going that direction. And I would actually be really interested to see what they could do with that. Yeah. And I would like to see a passing of the torch scenario, not a we're rebooting Indiana Jones. Here's Chris Pratt. You know, I would. It just would feel kind of weird to me at this point. It would feel desperate when you I have Harrison Lucas Ford is right there. Really hard for Hayden Christensen. <laughs> Jake Lloyd's gonna make a comeback. Oh no, <laughs> never. I, I'll take Only the opposite. Only if he plays the boulder. <laughs> I'll go the opposite on that though, guys. I'm I'm a hundred percent in on Chris Pratt as young Indiana Jones. I think he is an incredibly versatile actor and great for a blockbuster sort of movie. So I I love Pratt. I love Indiana Jones. I would love anything to erase the memory of the uh, fourth Indiana Jones movie that is kind of like my Voldemort. I don't even want to refer to it by name. So I man, I'd love to see this personally. I- me too in a vacuum, but I'm kind of a one or two franchises per actor guy. Yeah, sure. I, I don't, I and so like Cooper doesn't really have his franchise. Like he's Rocket Raccoon, but you know what I mean. He doesn't really headline. Yeah, I get that. Maybe if A Team had taken off, Hangover. But, <laughs> yeah, Cooper kind of needs his actiony thing that he does every four years. And Pratt is going to have Guardians. He may have Jurassic. He may have six other things, and like I don't know. I'm just kind Lego. of. I don't want to get bogged down with him. Yeah, I it, love him. I it's, get that. It's going to get to a point where we're going to get sick of him. I yeah. mean, honestly. Uh, but in every vacuum, summer, yeah. every summer, all great. summer, it's just Chris Pratt for for six years. <laughs> I mean, that might. I mean, it happened with Will Smith in the late '90s, and we got yeah. tired of him, you know. And as an audience, and with Tom Cruise, so you know, not that I'm saying he's the next Will Smith or Tom Cruise. Uh, at this point in time, but I mean, he needs to be, he needs to be worried. He can't just take every project that that comes his way. Uh, yeah. I'd like we'll to see him do some more kind of money style stuff again. Yeah, I think he will kind of, Oh, I think he will definitely vary up his resume a little bit because you know, if he's just bogged down 11 months a year filming four franchise films, then I mean, he has, he, we, I mean, we think of him now as the blockbuster actor, but his indie stuff is, extremely oh, yeah. strong he's, like, he's an extremely zero, he has, talented actor he has Moneyball, zero dark 30 and her in the past three years sure uh to say uh god he was in her he was good in her he was very good uh but i mean he he's made good choices so far hopefully that continues uh one more thing i want to hit on and announce uh before we move on and talk most violent year of this evening fellas is the official release date has been confirmed for steve jobs movie uh directed by danny boyle it will come out October 9th of this year, 2015. Uh, principal photography is is starting or underway. Yeah, they're currently. already filming, I think, yeah. It is underway in California currently. And uh, the official cast has been announced, and we haven't talked about this on the podcast, so I would uh, like to reveal that now. Uh, it stars Michael Fassbender as Steve Jobs, Seth Rogen as Steve Wozniak, Kate Winslet as former Mac marketing boss Joanna Hoffman. Pumped to see her in that. Yeah. Like Kate Winslet. Jeff Daniels as former Apple CEO John Scully, which seems fitting because John Scully was a tool. <laughs> uh, and Catherine Watterson as Jobs' ex girlfriend, uh, Chris Ann Brennan. Also stars Michael Stuhlbarg uh, as one of the original developers of the Mac, Andy Hertzfeld. Love that guy. So, love Stuhlbarg, future uh, American treasure, Michael Stuhlbarg. Uh, man, this is exciting. You know, this is a cast in a movie that was up in the air for a long time, and uh, the cast they've confirmed is strong to quite strong, and a lot of potential here. So, we'll see this one uh, in a few short months here, guys, in October. Seems a little bit rushed fast, uh, considering they're, you know, it, probably not a big post-production job for them, I'd imagine, but... Uh, very rarely you see a movie shot and released in the same year nowadays, so that's sure. interesting. But um, the official synopsis has also been released, and I'll read that. It says, uh, this is from Universal. It says, set backstage at uh, three iconic product launches ending in 98 with the unveiling of the iMac, the film takes us behind the scenes of the digital revolution to paint an intimate portrait of the brilliant man at its epicenter. So... Another, it's of course based on the official biography of Steve Jobs, and the working title is just Steve Jobs, um, not Jobs Two, which I was hoping for. <laughs> so that's that little bit of news. We'll keep an eye on that. 
And uh, without further ado, guys, let's talk a most violent year. It's been two years since you started investigating my industry. Do you have any idea who's been doing this to us? Or you may be doing something to bring this on yourself. I have always taken the path that is most right. The result is never in question for me. Just what path do you take to get there? Brian. Yes, I think you were the you were the first person of us to see the film, screen the film. I was. Uh, let's talk about it. Go ahead. So this is an it, this is a tough film to dissect for me. I wrote a, a real short review for it uh, for my blog this morning, and uh, it's a good movie. It's a well acted movie. Uh, it's a well shot movie. I don't really know what the point of the movie is, though. So that is my my hang up. I, I think it's a really, like I said, I think it's a really well-made film. It's a slow burn, which is great. I have no issue with the slow burn at all. I didn't think it was boring by any means. Um, but it, it, it just kind of, it's just one of those films where it's like, this is a movie where somebody, these, these actors are going to get to showcase their talents and they do. And Oscar Isaac is a, uh, I think a movie star in the making and Jessica Chastain is lovely and wonderful and incredible in everything she does and the supporting cast is great. And so it's just like, here's the cast. They're just going to be putting on these great performances. But as a narrative, eh, I, I could take it or leave it, honestly. Uh, I feel like there were a few films like this this year. The Drop comes to mind uh, uh, and there was – there's another one that I made a allusion to in my my uh, review. Now I can't remember, but there's been a few films like this this year that were well in 2014 that were uh, well done, good acting, good cast. Uh, you know, showed some promise from director, screenwriter, etc. I just don't, I don't. There's nothing for me to latch onto about the narrative structure of this movie to to get me excited, if that makes sense. So uh, yeah. just you know, kind of general thoughts of. This is a good movie, but I don't. I can't really point to something that would like. I would say you've got to see this movie because of this. Uh, beyond yeah. just you know, it has good performances. Uh, there's just not a whole lot to hold on to for me. Like I, I'm not going to remember this movie. I guess in a lot of ways. Oh, totally valid points. This comes to us from writer director J C. Chandor? Chazé. Oh, okay. <laughs> Not J.C. Chazé, unfortunately. Uh, he's, he brought us All is Lost yeah. in 2013, which starred uh, the one and only Robert Redford and uh, made some noise Oscar-wise that year. So this is his follow-up to that, starring Oscar Isaac, Jessica Chastain, David Oyelowo, which we have uh, talked about him this year in uh, Selma. And Albert Brooks, of course. Uh, Richard is quite familiar with him, if I'm yeah, not mistaken. Big fan. big fan. Yes, sir. And uh, and so I, I have to agree with you in some aspects, Brian, but this movie, uh, I'll, I'll compare it to The Drop. Yeah. Uh, I, had the same, I had the same sort of thought in my mind when I was watching it. It reminded me a lot of that, but it's more of a slow burn than the drop is. I yeah, think. totally. The drop is centered on basically two locations, the bar and his house. Mm-hmm. Uh, this sort of takes us around New York. And I sort of kind of liked the premise of this better than the drop. I didn't really ever understand the business that they were in, in the drop, you know, the, the, sure. cr- the crime business that they were in. And that's what I talked about in our review of that was uh, what crime is being committed here. I don't still don't know. Uh, why these drops are occurring for for what crimes these drops these money drops were occurring for? So I still don't know that. Uh, this had me on the edge of my seat, sort of. I really liked the fact that they show one of the oil trucks at the beginning get hijacked at a toll booth of all places. Like, what's the <laughs> yeah. most public place you could commit a crime <laughs> like that? How about right in front of a toll booth, uh, in front of uh, all the cameras and everything? But once they show that car getting hijacked at the beginning and anytime after that, they showed a truck, you knew something was going to happen or you were always kind of wondering if something was going to happen. So I liked the setup and I sort of liked the anticipation of not knowing when someone was just going to jump around the corner with a gun. And uh, it happened several times throughout the film, which we'll talk about more specifically, but I found enough thrill here that it overrid any of the slow burn dialogue, you know, 
intense acting that we, you know, got from Oscar Isaac here. And, uh, it had more action than I, um, than I had anticipated. I thought it would have been more of a political drama than it was, mm. but, uh, I, I enjoyed it. Uh, it's not up there this year. It's not a top 10, uh, as far as 2014's offerings. Um, but it sets the stage good this year for as far as 2015 goes. So one to remember, but Richard, what were your general thoughts? Yeah. So, uh, it's funny you guys brought up the drop. I hadn't made that. I had not made that comparison when watching it or thinking about it. Uh, but I kept thinking the whole time I was watching it. This is a. It was interesting release date for this film. So it came out limited in December for awards consideration, and kind of maxed out in January. But it feels like a very September movie. Those kind of sure. movies that bridge the gap between you know blockbuster season and Oscar season. Kind of probably won't be a contention for Oscars, but kind of set the tone for sure. Now we're going to have movies that take things seriously, and it's and that's what the drop was. The drop was a September movie, so that's a I think a spot on comp- comparison uh, by you two directly. Whereas I kind of made the uh, the much lazier uh, comparison <laughs> myself to an entire month, but uh, but that that's that's pretty good. It, it's a movie that uh, quite frankly I didn't have a whole lot of interest in. I'm not like a Brian how how you are with. Uh, with like uh, Paul Thomas Anderson and Fincher, it's yeah. kind of how I am with Scorsese, where like I totally recognize the genius and um, and the artistic merit and the talent. And I, there's some movies of his I really love and, and like a lot, but like he's not really on my list. I don't really sure. ever feel like those movies are for me in any way. And this kind of looked like a Scorsese film, at least yeah. very influenced, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, from at least in the marketing materials. It was probably a little different once I saw it, but. Uh, so like, I just wasn't, it, I wasn't super psyched about it, but, uh, I would, you know, it's Isaac and Chastain are, are pretty mesmerizing. It, it, it's, I almost have to give this, like, if I were to grade this, I would almost say incomplete because they're so good. I don't really know if this was a good movie or not. Cause sure. like, that's it's fair. Hard, it's hard to tell. And like what it lacks, certainly, as you said, Brian, in, in plot and narrative, it more than makes up for an atmosphere and it is really well made, but. I don't know if it's good. Like, it's going to be hard to grade this. I mean, I will. I'll figure out kind of how I feel about it. But talking, discussing with you guys certainly uh, helps. But yeah, I, I don't know. It's, uh, it's, it's definitely, I would recommend seeing it if you're someone that sees <laughs> a lot of movies. But if you don't see a lot of movies, I, yeah. I would. This is one you could red box easily. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it left me, uh, after watching it, confused more than anything. Sure. Totally I, I think it's like, you know, I've, I've made this kind of comparison before, but I feel like a movie at the beginning, when I set out to watch a movie, I like have this grade in my head of like the max that it could get, you know, like it's yeah. on a scale of one to 10, like, what are you going for? You're going for a seven. I feel like this is a movie that kind of maxed out at a seven and it hit all the marks that it could possibly hit for, for a seven. <laughs> but it never, for me at least never quite got much over that, but definitely didn't dip under that either. So it, it's interesting, Richard, listening to you, you know, talk about your feelings. That's similar as I was watching the movie, I was having that same kind of thought. I'm like, these actors are great. And I, I, but I just don't, I think it's well shot and, and you're, you're spot on with your Scorsese bit there. I think it's, it clearly has Scorsese influences and, and that's great. I just, I don't know. Like it's, it's a tough movie to, uh, to just say, man, this is a great movie for me. And it's so much just like, okay, it was, it was well done. I just don't know exactly what the, on some level, like what the point is. I felt like watching this movie was the same as from what you said, Kent, of watching Foxcatcher. Like, I, I feel like it was the yeah, same kind yeah. of feeling. Like, whereas I was really into the, uh, the, in, the intensity of Foxcatcher and just like, what the heck is going to happen here? This one, it was more like, I'm kind of waiting for the other shoe to drop, but I don't know that it ever is going to. And I'm not sure that I really care that much. And I just had very kind of lukewarm feelings to, what was happening on screen most of the time in spite of some really excellent acting. Yeah. We should move on to spoilers now because a lot of my points have to do with specific plot points. So spoilers coming up right now for our most violent year. We see Oscar Isaac's character. We follow him through this journey for him to find out who is ripping him off, 
who out there is behind all these hijackings of his trucks? Basically, Oscar Isaac, he owns a company that uh, supplies heating oil uh, for the city. And, you know, obviously the only people that would want to steal heating oil are other dealers of heating oil. So a lot of the tension is derived from him trying to find out who and why this is occurring. And I, I thought that the motivation behind the crime was going to be a lot more significant than it ends up being, you know? Uh, yeah. It ends up being like, yeah, yeah, I stole it. Sorry. So what? You know, uh, with, with when he actually finds out later in the movie uh, who and why um, uh, did all this. But it just – it was all leading up. It was the anticipation was building, 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 and it never really – comes to fruition at the end. This movie yeah. lacks a, an ending for sure. It, it has a great middle, uh, you know, late second act, third act. Uh, but the end of the third act, it, it, it lacks an ending. And uh, it really could have used more explanation, in my opinion, uh, for why all this, like you said, Brian, what, what does this, all this mean? <laughs> you know, and yeah. a, a director like Paul Thomas Anderson can give us a movie where that is the that that is the point of the movie and all his movies the point is what does this mean uh this felt like it had a meaning but i just didn't get that you know and right and that's that's fine and it it i would still recommend this movie but it didn't make it one that's that like you said is a must see uh, interesting note here rotten tomato score i just ha- now looked up uh, for this 90% certified fresh Rotten yeah. Tomatoes and seventy five percent audience. I will score. say it's it's a hard movie to dislike. Completely. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Like uh, if you're gonna give it a plus or a minus, it's hard to give it a minus. But it's, yeah, it's pretty easy to give it a plus for several in several categories. But uh, that's just a little bit higher than I would have expected. But Oscar Isaac is so dadgum good in this. I mean, he's doing like the perfect young Al Pacino guy you know like this guy's career is just gonna age so well i mean he he has a lot of skill and of course we'll see him later this year in in star wars as the star of star wars but uh this just proves to america to the world that you know he's gonna be a big actor uh for years to come for uh, his acting skills not because of the movies he's in so uh always love seeing oscar isaac been a fan of his for a while jessica chastain Fits well in the 80s, I must say. Gosh, she's amazing. I love her so much. And I think I'm a huge fanboy. You are president huge of fan fan yeah, yeah, you are. For, for sure. Uh, man, she was. she's great in this. I wish she'd had more. I kind of expected a little more screen time for her. Yeah, yeah, me too. I did too. And she sort of plays this aggressive aggressor of a wife to Oscar Isaac. Uh, he, he always sort of represents in this movie the calm – collected one the reasoner you know right. uh people telling him hey you need to arm all of your delivery guys with guns because uh they might die <laughs> you know and he's like right well do they have permits for this is this legal uh you know because he of course oyelowo's character is the district attorney and they were investigating his company for fraud and in several different uh several different allegations and you know having guns or permitting guns without permits is just another allegation to add to the stack. So he needed reasoning. And the most, um, I guess, illustrative scene in the movie between the, the husband and wife is they're driving home and Oscar Isaac hits a deer. Jessica Chastain Mm -hmm. says, you need to go put it out of its misery. He gets out with a crowbar and is debating in his mind whether to even put this deer out of its misery. And, Chastain walks up with a gun, shoots it in the head, walks away, you know? Yeah. yeah. And that that scene really says all you need to know about this movie and those characters. And um, the point of the movie, I guess, is what I got from it. There's basically two ways to go about everything, you know? Uh, the violent way and the nonviolent way. And, you know, Oscar Isaac was conflicted with with those two throughout the movie. So that's where, sure. I, that's where I got it. That's where the whole coffee or tea thing, illusion, goes to me, too, you know? Everybody likes coffee or everybody likes tea. There are two different types of people in the world. And uh, so that's what I got. What did you guys think of the, the third act? We're in spoiler zone, remember, right now. The build up and uh, all that, Brian. Yeah, the third act is – it's it's. I think that's where the movie is lacking for me. 
Uh, I liked the third act of the drop. I felt like it was. I, I don't want to keep yeah. comparing it to the drop, but it is the movie that it is better. Um, but the it, it part of the best part most. of it, yeah. yeah. And a most wanted man is the other, which is a very interesting title comparison there. But a most wanted man also had a lot of similar elements, I think. Uh, but you know, set in, obviously in a different country and all that sort of thing. But it, it, it they remind me of each other. Um, I think for a movie like this, if you're going to do a slow burn. Uh, you have to have some kind of payoff, and it doesn't have to pay off in a big explosive action sequence or something like that. But there, I just feel like there does need to be th- that other shoe has to drop. You know, you have to have something that that makes yeah. you, for me at least, that makes the audience feel like what they just sat through was was worth the, the time. And I just don't feel like it, it quite gets there. Uh, the the final scene, you know, we we are in spoilers once again. Reminder: it, when in which the you know the truck driver kills himself in front of them yeah, and whatnot. Yeah. That felt like that felt like a, the really the weakest part of the whole movie. Like that that guy coming back out of nowhere. I don't know that that I don't know that that solved anything. I don't know that that wrapped up the movie in a way that it needed to be wrapped up. It just it like kind of tied off this this. Uh, backstory line that I don't know that I certainly didn't really care about at that point and I don't know if anybody else did either it felt like it was just missing one piece of a story to like make all of this mean something and we didn't quite get that in the third act now that said I did enjoy and this was something I wasn't expecting but I I really enjoyed the um the 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 battle I guess that uh that Oscar Isaac's character What's his name? Abel. Uh, that he's going through of like trying his dead level best to be an honorable man and to to do things the right way mm-hmm. in the midst of all this corruption and and violence and all this sort of stuff. And uh, so I wasn't kind of expecting him to at the end of the movie to go off the deep end and just you know succumb to all the violence. And it didn't go that way. And that was an interesting choice. And I I, I liked that. I felt like that fit. But it just needed, like I said, there's some, there's a story element somewhere in here that's missing that I needed to, I think, push this, push a most uh, violent year like over the top into like, man, that was a really good movie, and I just didn't quite get that. Yeah, and I think that's where it got hindered in the Oscar talk for this year. It's why it got overshadowed. It just didn't have that one. I'll make a Spinal Tap illusion here. It didn't have that oomph. That yeah, <laughs> one thing that takes it over the cliff when you need that extra oomph, you know, it, mm-hmm. it never went to 11. It went to 10 and stayed there. And I wanted it to go to 11. It never, it never did. Richard, what are your thoughts on, uh, I guess we're in spoilers. So spoilery thoughts on the film. It's hard to have them because it's, it's a, it's a movie without a whole lot of plot. I mean, I could talk about particular scenes, but, uh, you know, you're right. Kent, the, that, that, the deer shooting scene to me, I had the same thought you did. It seemed a little bit heavy handed of this is how he handles it. And this yeah. is how she handles it. And that was like, to me, such a weird thing to make such a uh, really obvious point when the rest of the movie is so ambiguous. There wasn't a whole lot of arc in terms of first act, second act, third act at all. Right. Um, it's just kind of scene after scene after scene after scene. So I, I thought it fell off a little bit. I think I probably just got tired of it. I don't know if it was if the third act's really any worse than the first act or I just kind of was fatigued after two hours. But uh yeah, it's 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 a, it's the most confusing movie I've seen in a long time, I think. I think I liked it though. Yeah. Yeah. There are a lot of scenes that are in here, like I said earlier, that that keep you into it. And uh I, I would I will say the pacing is good. Uh, in the movie, this director knows what he's doing, sure. And uh, this is further proof that uh, he's somebody that we need to need to keep an eye on uh, in the in the next couple of years. And I just think that Oscar Isaac is really all that there is to talk about with this with this film, and that's fine. And Chastain, and Chastain was was good, but it's not her best work. She's great, but she just doesn't. I don't think she had enough screen time to do. Yeah, I was really I really expected this to be. Kind of like in the Mystic River sort of realm, where she okay. would have a yeah. little bit more behind the scenes pull, and I, I just, I don't know, she didn't quite get that opportunity. I don't think you're, you're right. I think Isaac is by far the star of the show, um, 
But when those two are on screen together, I was locked in. It may just be because I love both of those actors so much, but I was really into those sequences. Just maybe there weren't enough of them for me. Yeah. I mean, Oscar Isaac is, is something else. <laughs> and, uh, man, like I said, he's, he's definitely one to watch. This movie has only made $3.0 million wow. at the box office, which I thought for sure it would have made a little bit more other than that. But, uh, got overshadowed and, you know, that's, I guess, to its detriment here. But, um, it, it feels like another movie I can compare it to, uh, The Place Beyond the Pines had a lot going yeah. for it, had a, and I think the place beyond the pines in hindsight is a lot better than I gave it, gave it credit for at the time. Uh, it had a lot of fun action scenes, great performances, but in the third act at the end, yeah. it's just like, uh, what, what's even happening and what, it, why did I just watch all that? You know, cause the, it, it just feels so detached at the end from what, what I was seeing earlier. Uh, but I like this world. That he created here. I like 1980s New York. I think that's a, a setting that I want to see more movies set in. <laughs> but not uh, live in. But not live in. <laughs> right. Not Crime and porn, baby. Yeah. <laughs> 80s New York. And like I said, uh, there's a lot to recommend here. But, I mean, overall, uh, I guess we can move on to grades unless you guys have any more specific thoughts on on plot points in this movie. I'll give this movie a... Uh, solid B. How about that? It's one I will watch again eventually. Not one I'm going to go out and rush out and see. Uh, I will say for the listener, if you're if you stuck with it uh, through this long and you haven't seen it still, uh, it's it's like I said, one that you can rent, one that you can throw on uh, on the DVD player on a Friday night and just kick back and watch. It's not one you have to go rush out and see. A uh, good slow burn. I think cinema cinephiles will like this one a lot more than the average film goer. So if you're a person that goes yes. to a movie two times a year and you see Guardians of the Galaxy and you see, you know, yeah. um, it's Boyhood. It's a movie that requires a lot of context. It requires a lot of context and it's for the the, the cinephile, I think. Yeah. It's for yeah. people like us. It's not for yeah. the average uh, person totally. uh, on the road. So keep that in mind uh, when, you see, when and if you see this film. Brian, what's your grade? I'm going to go... I, man, this is such a confusing. I'm gonna go a little higher and go with the B plus. I I think it's I think it's a better movie than the drop was, but I enjoyed the drop quite a bit more. If that makes sense, yeah. uh, and, and I think anyway, it, it's you're, you're dead on. This is a movie for for cinephiles and people who see sixty or eighty or a hundred movies a year, not for people who get a babysitter once a month, sort of, uh, and, and get it out of the house. It's it's an it's a strange movie and it's tough. To, it, I think it shows promise in a lot of ways. It's just not one that I don't think I'll ever watch this again. Can it's, it's not because it's not good. I just don't. I don't know. I don't have any interest. I think to. Uh, to go back in it. There was just not enough to, to draw me back, but, uh, but that said, it's really well made and, and has some great acting in it. It's, it, this is an odd movie. I, I had a really hard time writing a review for it yesterday and even discussing it here. I feel like I've been stammering and kind of not Same. quite sure what to say. Cause it's, it's, it's just a different kind of, kind of film. Richard, you got a grade? Yeah, I, I, I do. I, and I'm mad. Brian went first cause he stole Sorry. I'm going to go B plus. No, you're fine. It's six lashings later, but I'm going to go That's B+. Fair. That's fair. Wow. Y'all yep. liked it more than me. Yeah. I wouldn't have been able so. to tell that from this conversation, but <laughs> cool. And, uh, you know. Okay, did you give a grade? I gave a B, a uh, solid B. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah, sorry. But so, I, don't, I don't listen to you. <laughs> it's okay. Neither do I. <laughs> it's um, it's maybe one we'll discuss again or discuss Oscar Isaac later this year with Star Wars. And uh, like I said. Yeah, there's a new Star potential. Wars movie? Believe it or not, there what? there is a new Star Wars film. <laughs> and uh, so, guys, let's move on and let's hit a quick weekly recommend. Weekly recommends. Okay, Richard, go ahead. Yeah, uh, so I'm going to recommend a movie, which I never do. I try to stay balanced. You never do do that. Yeah, I try to stay balanced on pop culture. So, like, I don't really see stuff that we don't do episodes for. Right. Because I only have, I try to a lot, you know, hours and weeks. So, but I'm gonna do a movie that I watched on Netflix. I don't really know what inspired me to watch it. I just kind of did. It's 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 a couple years old. Um, 
and Kent, you may have seen it, Brian. I don't think you have. Uh, but have you guys seen Shut Up and Play the Hits, the LCD sound system no, documentary? No, I haven't. No, I have not. Uh, I would, you guys especially would, I don't know if the audience would be that into it, but I think you two would really enjoy it. Um, it's a really cool kind of half documentary, half concert film of the last uh, LCD sound system concert in 2011 in, at Madison Square Garden. And uh, they were, they were, I guess, yeah, I guess were is the correct uh, word there. But they were a band that I have some familiarity with, but I wouldn't call myself like a super fan of theirs or anything. I like, you know, seven of their songs and, and whatever, but uh, I think I've listened to like one of their albums all the way through, but you know, I, I knew, I knew ironically I knew the hits, but uh, it was really cool. Uh, I thought it was a really well-made documentary. It reminded me of kind of a better version of Conan O'Brien can't stop from a few years sure. back um, with, with the kind of, intersplicing of concert. The concert footage is really cool. Um, and they're a, a great band and Arcade Fire's in it. They're their background singers from the night on a few songs nice. and um, some cool stuff like that. And then, and then, so as a band, it's great. And they have like 30 people playing electronic instruments and it seems like it would have been a great song, uh, a great concert rather, especially if you were on just like mescaline or something. But, um, <laughs> but then, Which I am uh, normally. Yeah. All the time, 24 <laughs> seven. Uh, but then the kind of sub story is kind of about James Murphy, who's the the front man and a really unique uh, front man for that band because he's a uh, he, first off he started that band when he was forty, so he's older than most kind of rock frontmans. He's a sound engineer by trade and kind of like a he. I think he has like a degree in literature or something from NYU. He's an eclectic guy in a, a really witty kind of a uh, puffy, drunken Irish way. He's American, but he's super Irish looking, and his name's James Murphy. I mean, come on. But uh, so it's a, uh, but I, yeah, it's a, it's a really interesting movie. It's a movie that I saw probably two or three weeks ago, and I, it's still my weekly recommend two or three weeks later. I think about it a lot. Uh, so for a concert film documentary, I think you guys uh, would enjoy it. And uh, it's really all access and just pure uh, kind of like uh, science wise, it was kind of cool to see how to put on an arena show at Madison Square Garden, like what hallways you walk down and yeah. where you come out and, <laughs> you know, all that. You kind of get an all access view of that. And other things too, Kent, which you'll appreciate having been in a, a successful band is like um, when the band's over. So they do the last show. It's kind of spoilery, but it's a documentary. Mm-hmm. So get over it. <laughs> they do the last show and then like, you know, they party all night and then he wakes up at noon the next day and he's got to like go to the storage unit and like sell all their gear. Like you yeah. got to sell the gear and, uh, the kind of the practical side of being a, a rock star is interesting, but, uh, yeah, yeah cool movie. So shut Very up and cool. play the hits LCD sound system, uh, documentary. It's on Netflix. So check it out. Yeah. I'm in, I'm sort of in the same boat. You or Richard. Um, I wasn't into that kind of music, I guess when they were that popular, yeah. Uh I mean I'm familiar with their their work and everything and and the music and uh I've been interested to watch it but I just haven't oh. I mean, they're not in my top 25 bands so there are yeah. plenty of documentaries on uh on say uh I don't know Rush that I want to go out and watch before sure. I no you know you know what I mean uh yeah. it, it's one that yeah. I want to watch I just haven't gotten around to it yet but uh oh, that will interest piece that'll interest you brian about 25 percent of the movie is james murphy sitting in a coffee shop with uh chuck klosterman just talking nice the state of their so chuck klosterman is like kind of the lead supporting actor of the film sure. so uh, that's cool i think you would yeah it's i definitely- saw i saw a documentary last last year that i recommended called mistaken for strangers did you ever see that anybody no, no. it was uh, about the national the band oh, the national yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. i know about he it he takes his the lead singer takes his younger brother on tour Okay. And uh, his younger brother is supposed to be like helping them and like being a stage tech, but he just keeps filming them, like basically filming a documentary. Yeah. And they're they're like basically telling him like, uh, "You'll never be anything. This this movie is gonna suck," you know. And but the documentary ends up becoming about the brother instead of about the band, and okay. it's really really cool. So that's one I'll recommend. That I guess it's yeah. sort of like a good behind the scenes look at at what goes on. But Brian, continue. Sorry, I, I interrupted. No, I don't, I don't. I don't think I was saying anything. Yeah, uh, I had Sorry. something. I know I had one. Klosterman. Yeah, Klosterman has got a big part in it, and there was one more. 
kind of other interesting thing, but it's it's gone now. Just one hundred percent gone. No, it's not your fault at all. Uh, Brian, we'll go ahead with your recommend then. Sure. Uh, this is going to be kind of an odd recommend for for you guys at least, but I'm assuming we have some people that listen to the show that are like me that are parents and uh, are are dying because of how bad most uh, kids programming is. Well, Kent uh, is actually my son. <laughs> it's a weird dying. family relationship. Yeah. Um, my kiddo started watching a show on Netflix recently, and it's hilarious. And I just so I, I thought I would throw that out there. House of Cards. House of Cards. He he is a big Frank Underwood fan. Uh, he just calls him Francis, though. It's kind of odd. Uh, no, it's called Phineas. Cooper and sits at the window and smokes in his nursery. <laughs> yes, yes. That's. What, I mean, we we don't want him to smoke in the house, but if it's out the window, it's fine. Yeah. He's two. He's his lungs can handle it. Uh, my my yes. my weekly recommend is is especially for uh, parents out there that are you know trying to find something to watch with their kid that doesn't make them want to kill themselves. Um, it's called Phineas and Ferb. It's been on Disney Channel forever. I've oh, never yeah. watched it until the last like three weeks, and we've watched two and a half seasons, uh, which probably speaks volumes about my parenting. But um, no, it, it's really it's a really funny show. I think I would enjoy the show even if I wasn't you know being forced to watch it because my kid is watching it and and uh it it, it very it's much reminds for soup does the song for right it, yeah uh, yeah, they, yeah bowling for soup does the theme song and uh the lead singer of bowling for soup jared riddick is uh is like shows up every once in a while steve zahn has shown up a his couple name times. is his his name is jared riddick i think riddick. Uh, what did i say i riddick? think vin diesel would uh <laughs> would oblige to your riddick sure, pronunciation sure. oh but we got to talk about that though when you're done Okay. We got to talk about the fast, the furious. Oh, shit. we didn't. Jeez, what are we? What are we doing? Okay, yeah, we'll get. Anyway, uh, it's a really funny show. It's um, it's 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 obviously animated and it's ridiculous, but it's very witty and smart. And I've noticed that the, the show started, I think, in like 2007. And I've noticed that a bunch of the shows that we really like, sitcom wise, The Office, Parks and Rec, Community, things like that have kind of blatantly stolen from this show. Like some of the bits and stuff like that really remind you of stuff that we've seen on sitcoms since then. And uh, so it it almost fits into that same kind of category of uh, uh, just on a kid's level, I guess. But it's a really funny show and smart. And they do some some very different things from most of the stuff that uh, that kiddos are watching these days. Uh, so I've really enjoyed watching it with them. And like whenever he, whenever my son wants to watch something different, I'm kind of bummed that we're not uh, <laughs> watching Phineas and Ferb. So uh, especially for you parents out there, uh, check that out. And if you're not a parent, then you can ignore everything I said. I apologize. So there's a spinoff of Phineas and Ferb. Do you know that? No, I don't. I'm reading you this right me. now. It's a. T- it's not on anymore, but it existed for a couple years. And it's a. It's like a space goes coast to coast. It's a talk show hosted by okay. Phineas and Ferb. <laughs> Take two with Phineas and Ferb. Okay. And it features the following celebrities uh, being interviewed: Tony Hawk, Randy Jackson, Neil Patrick Harris, Seth Rogen, Taylor Swift, Andy Samberg, Tom Bergeron, Emma Roberts, Jack Black, Regis Philbin, Howie Mandel, North American Treasure, Howie Mandel, David Beckham, <laughs> and the official mascot of this podcast. Guy Fieri. Nice. nice. I just saw on on IMDb that Damon Lindelof has written an episode of Phineas and Ferb. Yeah, yeah. It, it's a really <laughs> kit as an animated as an animation yeah. person. Yeah. you might should check it out and just see what it's like because it's it's. I think it will surprise you with how with how funny and 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 witty it is and the, the stuff that they do is there's a lot of musical numbers and they're really well written musical numbers. Yeah. Like, funny stuff it's it's uh i've i really enjoyed it and there's a star wars uh episode at some nice. point like I, I bought the star george wars. lucas wrote an episode in 2014 yeah, yeah it says yeah, so, it'll so, probably so be awful. cooper's <laughs> always going to associate <laughs> star wars with like as a spinoff of phineas and ferb i just hope you're okay with yeah, that yeah probably that's fine it's fine yeah the, the uh the we'll bowl- correct that at the end of the year <laughs> the uh the bowling for soup guys are like so stoked to be involved with it. They they say they make a lot off that show. Yeah, <laughs> and doing I'm the sure. Song Animation is where it's at, man. It was almost like the producers of the show came to them with the idea for the show and wanted them to be involved like from the get go. You know, like uh-huh. they were involved with the inception of the show, yeah. which is 
really cool and it's they're it really is. lucky it's yeah. funny and one of the one of the recent episodes that we watched uh which you know came out like six years ago so it's not really recent but they the entire band pops up like yeah no they play the they show live. they play the theme song live at their concert yeah yeah like, it's they like had an original song for three minutes like a music video with them animated with bowling for soup like on the drum set yeah. and things like that it's it's a really interesting little show I've enjoyed it a lot. Bowling for Soup's from Dallas for the listener. That's yeah. why we all are very familiar with the with that yeah. band. Um, I was everyone who's el- from Dallas is a friend. It, we're friends. Basically. I was once in an elevator with them uh, at a hotel. It was yeah. me, Bowling for Soup, and Charles Barkley all in an elevator <laughs> together. Nice. That's, so hot. That's quite a, it's quite a tandem there. Uh, okay. Uh, good recommend, Brian. I'm going to recommend a show on Netflix as well. It's for the... For the adults, I will say it's uh, it's a BBC series. Uh, I I just now got a chance to check it out. I've told you guys about it. Uh, it's called Black Mirror. Yes, and really interesting show. It sort of follows the, I guess, uh, model of Sherlock, where it's basically three episodes a season. They're each about an hour long, and they're each independent uh, from one another. Not the same characters. Uh, I mean, well, Sherlock has Sherlock in every episode, but I mean, it's they're, they're they're standalone stories. It's not serialized or anything, so you could just watch an episode and, and really enjoy it. And it's sort of a modern day Twilight Zone, if I was to describe it yeah, to you guys. Sure. Uh, it it basically takes um, technology more than anything and sort of shows the the viewing audience, hey, if you you don't fix this about technology or culture, this might happen someday. Sure. Uh, so there are several examples of you know dystopian futures that we could end up with if we go down a certain path. Mm-hmm. And uh, Robert Downey Jr. bought the rights to one of the stories in uh, the third episode of the first season, and is apparently going to make it into a movie. Cool. And uh, each each episode you'll watch and you'll say, "Man, this could be its own movie," you know. And it has that potential. But there's only two seasons, and they're each three episodes long. And uh, really, really, really good show. And it's one that I've heard they're also adapting to, for American audiences too. I think Fox is gonna yeah. is going to uh, switch it over. So, and Black Mirror, twenty six episodes a season. Black Mirror, get on it now. <laughs> Everyone's going to be talking about this show. I promise. Yeah, yeah. And uh, we may do an episode. We might on do an episode on it eventually. Future. A little yeah. rants and raves. If we, all I've get only seen one, so I have a lot of catching up. To really, do. really cool show. And. Um, like I said, be the first of your friends to know about it and watch it. Right. Uh, you'll, you'll, you'll thank me later. I promise. So Brian, uh, where can I find you online? You can find me on the Twitter at bgill 12. You can find my writing at cambabiesdrinkredbull.com. Richard, where can we find you? You can find me on Twitter at Richard Barden, or you can find my geocities.com homepage. <laughs> Kent, where can I find you? Find me on Twitter at Kent Garrison and find our show online at madaboutmoviespodcast.com. Contact us on there. Find all of our weekly recommends on there. And all of our archive episodes are on there. But I just want to remind you that only our most recent 100 episodes show up on iTunes. If you want anything older than those, go to our website. Scroll back. They are there, including Now You See Me. And uh, some great, wonderful moments in the podcast such as that uh, are available, of course, online all the time on our website. So check that out. Thank you for your support. Leave us a review on iTunes if you like what you hear. And uh, until next time, guys, I'll see you at the cinema. Goodbye. See ya.